Hey there, friends. Another Monday morning, another episode of Concessions with Dan and I. This week, we're tackling a movie with a lot of similarities to the movie we covered in our previous episode, The Wolf House. They're both movies from Spanish-speaking countries that reckoned with some of the darkest moments in their nation's histories, blending folklore with the real-life horrors they wish to shed a new light on. They're both masterfully crafted and both chilling in their own unique ways. If you listened to the Wolf House episode, you may have heard us do a bit of comparing the two films already. Before we head into the episode, I need to make doubly sure I clarify exactly which movie we're talking about today. La Llorona is an absolutely pervasive character in the folklore of the Spanish-speaking world, featured in countless movies over the last hundred years or more. In fact, 2019 alone saw not one, but two high-profile La Llorona movies. One was the American-made studio film, The Curse of La Llorona, loosely tied into The Conjuring verse, and probably not interesting enough to warrant a pod episode. But the film we're here to talk about today is the Guatemalan film from 2019, titled simply La Llorona, directed by Jairo Bustamante, which is available on Shudder in the US and rich with conversation topics. If you're a fan of the podcast and you haven't done so already, please follow us and give us a rating on your podcast app of choice. You can find us online as well. Dan is on X at Dan Concedes, while I'm on threads at Jared Concessions. Now, once again, thank you so much for joining us for Concessions, where Dan and I consider the bigger picture and share our thoughts on Jairo Bustamante's La Llorona. Todos lloraban tu tierra, llorona, tu tierra ensangrentada. Todos lloraban tu tierra, llorona, tu tierra ensangrentada. Sollozos de un pueblo herido, llorona, y de su voz silenciada. Welcome all to Concessions, the podcast. I'm Dan. And I am Jared. And today we are going to give you the true, no lamestream media, no fake news on the slandering of a good Guatemalan patriot and his family. Absolutely. But before we get into that, Dan, what are you drinking? I am drinking water today. Oh, I drank a little too much whiskey last night. Whiskey. um, It's an old phrase from college that if you drink too much, you're borrowing fun from tomorrow. Well... Yeah, the, uh, the bank account is overdrawn, so um, I gave all my fund yesterday. Yeah, my uh, <laughs> my my favorite rapper Slug, he uh, has a great line and probably most popular song "Sunshine," where it's like the sunlight caught me dead in the eye, like a mad, like it's mad that I gave half the day to last night. <laughs> so good. Um, I'm drinking a shilling hard cider. It's a their seasonal release, oh. the Big Zesty, which is a guava lemon hard cider made with real Washington apples. All right. Well, since uh, you're not drinking, though, like what did you watch this week besides the movie that we're talking about tonight? What was good or what was bad? Oh, let me tell you. So on Sunday, for some reason, me and uh, Aaron got on a kick of... I think she just like learned I'd never seen uh, She's the Man. So like, oh, like I grew up on it, so we got to watch it. I'm like, okay, cool. Was it um, Twelfth Night? 
Hmm? Is, the, is it like is it Twelfth Night or no, that's All's ten... Well That Ends Well? I'm getting there actually. Uh, She's the man is the one with Amanda Bynes, where she dresses up as a dude and plays soccer, and and then eventually kisses Channing Tatum because he's so cute. Yeah, she must. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's Twelfth Night, but. It uh, it moved forward into a whole uh, late '90s, early 2000s adorable teen coming of age rom com marathon that Aaron grew up on that okay. I did not catch. So, and let me tell you that that Heath Ledger man, uh, what a, what a dreamboat was he? I mean, was wow. he handsome and a good actor? Uh, Ten things I hate about you. I was smitten. Taming of the shrew. Swooning. Okay. What other? What what Ooh. other? Kind oh, of a night bobbing? tale. We immediately hopped over to a night's. Oh, okay, so only you you stopped short of a third kind of teeny bopping Shakespeare adaptation. Yeah, we didn't go. Yeah, it didn't have the theme of a uh, yeah, teeny bop two thousand or nineties uh, Shakespeare adaptations. It was just uh, shit that te- or girls my age grew up on that I didn't watch because I'm a boy and I don't watch girl movies and I was missing out. Yeah, so uh, how how is Channing Tatum in that movie? I feel like I I haven't um, seen him in anything earlier than Magic Mike, well, which that's is kind of known as like his big turnaround into like a more serious actor. That's so a what surprising was he like in thing. Chase the Man. Um, a he's like, and I looked it up. He's like twenty four at the time, and he's tiny, super scrawny. First, oh, he's he's not like jacked like he is to this day. He's more like lean, muscular, like kind of muscular, but like. The way he was built, he's. I thought he was probably eighteen or nineteen, and, and I was like, "No, that's like a full-grown man." And I was like, "Damn, he really threw muscle on." Then, if like puberty wasn't helping him get from the size and ten things I hate about, or no, to she's a man to like Magic Mike, whew, Channing, uh, yeah, put in the work. And that's only like three years or something, three four years. Yeah, not a ton, maybe. not a ton of time. Maybe even less than that. Um, I I don't think I watched any other movies this week besides Liar. We're about to. Yeah, besides well, uh, Lyurana. books, TV shows. Uh, yeah, well, okay, well, so it was, a, it was a big week for TV shows. So the succession finale was on Sunday, and it was that was like movie length. That was like an hour and 35 minutes of uh, saying goodbye to those characters. And it didn't disappoint. Like, they stuck the landing. They stopped after four seasons. They The fourth season was by far the best season. Like, every single episode felt like an event. Um, and they went out on a high note, so good for them. Also, Ted Lasso ended this week, or potentially didn't. Um, uh, it, it feels like they will probably continue having a show, but just minus the character of Ted Lasso, huh. and they'll rename it something different. Uh, they did a great job of wrapping up his story while keeping kind of loose ends for all the other characters in case you know everyone besides Jason Sudeikis decides to uh, renew their contracts with Apple TV. Um <laughs> That was good. And then Barry ended this week, and that was Damn, also fantastic. All three, all three of those wow. had their swan songs this this past week, um, and yeah, all three some of the fu- some of the finest television of the last you know four or five years. And uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a hole in my heart now. Um, Let's say that's uh, a lot of that's a lot of people leaving your life in one week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it really feels that way sometimes when like a very very long and involved work of art really just like grabs you. Uh, you do feel a sort of grief when it ends. Mm. A really, a really long, uh, wonderful novel or 
really long musical or play or, you know, series of films. Yeah. You really do start to kind of feel a more personal connection. And when it's taken away, yeah, it's something like a very, very mild form of grief. But is there anything else we wanted to talk about before we get in here? No, no. I mean, um, yeah. What we did this week, what movies we're doing this week. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, yeah, let's dive on in. Okay, uh, so Jared, uh, you're the one who I mean, yeah. surprise, surprise, uh, we're doing La Llorona, in case anyone didn't know. This was Jared's pick. So Jared yeah. as our well, uh, resident curator. Yeah. And let's be really specific here. This is La Llorona from 2019 or or uh 2020, depending on how you interpret release dates. It did all the big festival rounds in 2019, including TIFF in late 2019, where it was purchased by Shudder. It was then released on Shutter. I don't know, six months later, right in the middle of the pandemic, 2020. So this is the Guatemalan film by Jairo Bustamante, not the, the Curse of La Llorona, which is kind of the James Wan conjuring verse from the same year, a terrible movie, real bad movie. There are literally dozens of Mexican and South American or other Central American territories movies that are called The Legend of La Llorona, La Llorona, The Curse of La Llorona, The the Whales of La Llorona, the blank, 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 blank. Like La Llorona is probably Central America's most prolific boogie woman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it, it sounds like it'd almost be like, oh yeah, like that new zombie movie. You're like, which one? Yeah, or yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're like, we're watching Frankenstein, it's like that doesn't narrow it down that much. Or, um, yeah, or it's the one with Dracula in it. It's the movie about Dracula. Exactly. Yeah, there's there's two Nicholas Holt Dracula movies this year. <laughs> uh, but yeah, La Llorona is definitely the Mexican Mexican equivalent or the Central American equivalent. But we we are specifically watching 2019's La Llorona from Guatemala by by Jairo Bustamante, and uh, yeah, it stars. Uh, Maria Mercedes Coroy, Maria Talon, two uh, indigenous actresses uh, who starred in Bustamante's previous film, Volcano, as well, and uh, kind of carried over to this film, Sabrina de la Hoz and uh, Julio Diaz, uh, among others. But this movie is a, a subversion of a very, very widely known folk tale in Central America. So from the American Southwest through Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, like all the way down to even like South American countries, basically everyone knows uh, the Wailing Woman or, or La Llorona. So she is this figure of folklore, a young peasant woman who had a torrid affair with a nobleman or a European colonizer, depending on your uh, version of the tale. Uh, she gives birth to his children. Their love affair gets found out. He threatens to take the children away with him. So instead, she drowns them in the river, drowns herself, or they drown her. And then she's cursed to walk the earth, wailing for her lost children. And she will drown yours if she gets close to you. And uh, that that's kind of the story. This, this, uh, this movie kind of takes that and subverts it in a really, really clever way. So this movie uh, has at its center, this elderly Guatemalan general who is really a former de facto president or, or dictator of Guatemala, General Monteverde, Enrique Monteverde. But he's based on a, on a real life general by the name of Efren Rios Montt, who uh, killed a lot 
of indigenous, you know, Mayan Guatemalans in, during the Civil War in the early 1980s. So uh, just like his real life counterpart, he goes on trial for that genocide and basically walks free to, to live out his uh, last few years just as a, an unhealthy old man. Uh, to, that happens in this movie as well. So uh, he has a staff at his house that is comprised of those same uh, in, indigenous uh, Kukchikal people that he has been accused of butchering. One night he starts to hear a really familiar sound to people uh, that part of the world of a, a woman wailing at night. He tells the housekeepers he gets starts to get unpredictably violent. His housekeepers quit. And uh, except for his one, like very, very kind of near and dear housekeeper, uh, Valeriana, who uh, kind of brings in a new young housekeeper into the home. And that housekeeper, uh, well, she is the mother of two dead children. She has a somewhat spectral disposition. She has an affinity for the water. And she has a very unsettling fixation on the child of the family, Monteverde's granddaughter, who herself is half native as well, even though the rest of the family is Caucasian, uh, the baby daddy of uh, the dictator's daughter was apparently a native man. And all the while, there's protests going on outside of their house. And let's say those protests escalate as far as going from physical to metaphysical uh, in some horrifying ways. So my my previous connection to this movie is I saw it when it came out in 2020 on Shudder. There's a lot of hype around it um, being one of the very few Guatemalan films that even gets produced. But this one in particular had a lot of hype by the time Shudder had picked it up, Guatemala had already selected it as its Academy Awards submission. So I was hyped about it. I am uh, a Central American myself by descent, uh, Mexican-American specifically. So I kind of knew knew all about La Llorona going in. And I just, I'd actually been kind of excited about the uh, the American film with, with uh, Linda Cardellini. And then I heard it was bad. And then this movie kind of came out like right on its heels. And it was like, oh, there's a good La Llorona movie. Fantastic. <laughs> Watched it. It was better than I than I than I ever thought because it, it, it's way more than a horror film. And uh, yeah, I've been excited to watch it with you. And Dan, you you hadn't seen it before, right? No, uh, had not seen it at all. The only reason it was ever even on my radar to begin with was because of you. <clears throat> I remember you talking about that. I mean, way back when I still lived up in Seattle, that you were just like, "Oh, this is awesome movie, Law Yorona. You should definitely check it out." It was whenever I just kind of, you know, check on the watch list and at some point maybe I'll get around to it. <clears throat> and, um, but I, what kind of kept me away from it or picking it is I always kind of forgot which one it was. Yeah. Was like, oh, what's the, yeah, what's the La Llorona that Jared liked? And then you look up like, oh, La Llorona or the new La Llorona movie. And there's like three or four of them. And also I'm, a, I am a, a culturally whiter than mayonnaise. So La Llorona is not something that uh, was, uh, taught or a symbol or a figure that I grew up with. Um, I'm, I was vaguely aware of it just from other books or movies or, or stories. Um, and, and I always saw it as, yeah, I mean, I knew it was the weeping woman. I only really knew it was like a vaguely spectral presence, kind of a, a sort of a vengeful spirit of sorts. Um, but I didn't really, I don't know much about the folklore behind it other than how it stands in stories as a symbol. 
and you know there there are there are parallels that I kind of thought about when I was thinking about how this works and like uh like the parallel of like how we got witches or um oh you even mentioned it in your essay like uh, the yeah. Japanese version the the woman with the scar the, the slit mouth woman yeah who's sort of the she's sort of the the template for all of the kind of stringy black hair dripping with water yeah, uh, yeah. kind of vengeful spirits you see in Japanese horror yeah the Japanese kind of have their La Llorona but yeah no there's there's like <laughs> but, Ireland has banshees yeah they have banshees like and, and of course you know combining these symbols together in other contexts is not unique um or like there, there are different versions of the same sort of mythic figure with different uh, cultural twists on it uh, yeah. so does that yeah. mean la llorona is actually just real and all of these cultures have well, la llorona's i'll tell you what what is real is in my opinion all of these various um uh vengeful female spirits that are on every single continent except perhaps antarctica but again maybe maybe they aren't antarctica as well and some of the uh some of the the indigenous folks uh, in the arctic circle have the same <laughs> sort of folk tales that yeah, I don't know about, but, but anyway they, they all they all kind of seem to serve the same purpose and it's to punish and villainize women for being women like all of these are they all have met some sort of tragic demise around their pregnancies or because of their beauty or because they were uh you know wanted by men um they're they're all kind of heralds of ill-conceived pregnancies or the death of their children um i i i think that it, it it's not not super complicated i think that these all exist because the folks that got to uh, set down these stories or carry on kind of the oral traditions going back centuries were were men. Well, and also it's it's um, like this figure of La Llorona, like it's it's um, it's strangely more historic, like pretty clearly historically rooted. Like you can kind of point to plenty of like real life examples, or especially in the colonial context of why something like La Llorona would kind of emerge as a symbol where. It's um yeah it's sort of like co-opting like the real rage uh, that I'm sure indigenous women felt um, and turning it into this like um for lack of it like yeah they should be afraid of indigenous women they did some awful things to them and there's a reckoning that you can kind of yeah. see and it works in this movie too it's like the idea of like reckoning that like they it's almost like this unconscious uh, admission of fault that like, yeah, yeah, a figure like this has to exist in uh, Central and South American society because it because of their history. Like it's it's uh, unconscious guilt that is um, that's expressed in that manner. Yeah, I, I hope it's an unconscious guilt. And that's what this movie that's what this movie is sort of predicated on or what this movie does specifically to how, how it kind of uses the the traditional folktale to kind of tell that manner of story. But man, if you look at all, basically all of the other books or films or songs or plays, La Llorona is, is typically cast as just like fear incarnate, like mm. just evil Preying on innocent children, drowning them, terrifying okay, so it's their not parents. Like, so she's considered, yeah, evil, not a uh, force for like justice. No, no. And what's different about this movie is that like Bustamante 
chooses to highlight her as this really striking symbol of the oppressed. And that I think that's different and radical. Like, yeah. like pretty much any other La Llorona content you find, like you, she might have some sympathetic qualities, but she is like the villain. She well, I is... think of it too. Um, I almost made this my recommendation. I'm like, yeah, people know about this movie. I like to pick out movies that are, are a little less known. Um, like the recent The Witch, taking the trope of witches, which is usually more of a, uh, it, it's more centered on male fears of femininity and it's flipping yeah. the script. Yeah, exactly. And this movie does a similar thing. Uh, male fears of femin of femininity, but also specifically all throughout Central America, European colonizers, general distaste for being around the peasants. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, you know, th that they, it's sort of like the antebellum South too, is that you have to live right on top of them and you have to you yeah. kind of see the effects of the destruction that you create. Uh, you know, we're 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 already getting like way into some analysis here, but before like before we kind of carry on, like I I do want to like kind of return to that and really really pry open kind of a lot of the like really really rich uh, kind of thematic material. But just in general, man, like what was your uh, what what's your take? Like, did you like yeah. this movie overall? Is I mean, it good? Yeah. Overall, yeah, very good. <laughs> really liked it. That was the the main thing I was were or concerned about, which we can get into a little later about me being very North American, or yeah, being very North American, very Amer Western and diving into a story that I could tell was uh, playing with tropes that I don't even know how they're like, I don't know the established ones. So when they're playing with it, like I have a harder time or I thought I would have a harder time picking up on the subversion there. But honestly, it was quite natural. Like, because I think I started Lyrona is portrayed in this film is portrayed in a way that like there are a lot of equivalents in cinematic visual grammar of yeah like you said like the girl from the ring or like spooky banshees or female ghosts or just female scaries in general like they kind of have a shared cinematic language so like you kind of gloss onto that and understand that the the perspective was putting her in a sympathetic light and that actually was my favorite thing about the film um, is there's a couple moments when almost any other filmmaker would have leaned into this, uh, would have at least tried to make us feel bad for the family a little bit, like show like, oh, you know, they, they're so awful, but like, look how they're being like roughed around with in the protest. And, oh, they're, you know, they're really upset because they're, they're dealing with the, the trauma of what they've done in this movie. Yeah. Is like, yeah, they are. Uh, <laughs> and also I don't care. Like, yeah, the camera yeah. just. It doesn't milk it at all. It's super matter of fact. It's also mm -hmm. not like it, it's not like kind of giggling at them either, which I think is good. It's just showing it blank almost as like a well, this is what happens when you do this to your fellow man. Like yeah. what goes around comes around in a sense. Yeah, like they're I mean, I would I would say like a lesser film would go to greater lengths to sort of lionize the daughter who's a doctor. Mm. She's sort of neoliberal, so like she's you know she's uh, she she's certainly more more socially liberal than the rest of her family, but she's still like kind of deeply conservative in all the ways that matter. And like I think that sort of thing usually gets lionized in movies like this. But in this movie, the only lionization that's happening is of La Llorona herself and the protesters and the victims of the genocide. Because I, I think what it does another great twenty nineteen movie, Parasite. Um, what it does well is really. 
the only character in that movie that you see like you they kind of make it about their own individuality and the character of the no pun intended the the character of the character is the matriarch the rest of them it sort of plays them very neutrally and it sort of implies like it's not really these people that are the perpetrators it's the positions or the seats that they fill right um, and the only one and that's like that, that's the only i would say mild knock is like the the matriarch of the family it's like i got it she's awful like right. they gave me enough to work with and but i do find that we were texting about this as i was watching this is like it, it it does create a very good contrast of like the general at least his behavior on paper is still very dignified still very like he's not like saying awful bigoted dog whistles like his uh his wife yep. but he he doesn't have to think it he just does it like yeah, he was no, the no. perpetrator he, he, of it he carried out these atrocities he <laughs> he 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 like staged a successful coup and started murdering a whole bunch of civilians and started leading the country like now that he's you know infirm and his cognition is declining and he's you know he's he's actively dying basically like you know he's he's sort of beyond all that but his his wife who is uh sort of third party to all of that stuff. She's like fully committed to in her daily life, just projecting all of this like kind of mean spirited, just kind of salacious, bigoted bullshit well, all the coping time. Coping mechanism, really. Well, well, right. Because I mean, of course we learned throughout the movie that she is absolutely racked with like immeasurable guilt over all of this. Oh, and I guess like even without those scenes, uh, there's a couple dream sequence spoilers for the movie. Uh, there's a couple dream sequences that does show that she like really is weighed down by this, but like, and that's what I'm saying. The only slight knock I have is in her characterization. Cause it was also clear, like just based on her rhetoric and the way she talks about the protesters or what, uh, the father did or like you kind of hear some of the past get revealed too, or like maybe some conversations they've had behind closed doors like it's very clear um that this is all a very loud coping mechanism and I'm, and it's yeah and i don't know if he purposely did this or not but like I, I i stopped and i broke down most of a lot of the things she said when like the particular heinous things are like i've heard that on fox news i've seen yeah. that on the news yeah i've you heard need, a policy you need to stop, you need to stop wearing that tight thing yeah, yeah, yeah. She victim blames someone for because her husband was like fucking gawking at she, uh, or the La Llorona character. Elma. She yeah. Elma. She she calls like an elderly victim, like survivor of the genocide, a prostitute. <laughs> or um, oh, shoot. Yeah, I took because there were there are some just like she calls them uh, savages. Oh. That's the classic, right? Like she oh calls yeah, then straight calling savages. savages. This is also I thought a very interesting one that I thought was thematic too. Or she kept saying something like, um, oh, we're all so obsessed with the past. We shouldn't be focused on the past so much. We need to move yeah. forward. And how many times have you heard about that when it comes to systemic racism up right. here in the States where it's like, oh, we're so focused on like all these old stuff. Like we didn't do that. We shouldn't be punished yeah. for that. Well, <laughs> funny thing is what we're talking about when, when Americans talk about that, it's stuff that happened largely in the 19th century, like the worst of the worst, right? right. Trail of Tears, like the the, the worst of, of slavery. slavery yeah. All of that stuff was, you know, a couple hundred years ago. This What they're talking about in this movie happened in the 1980s. Yeah, like 40 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, and it's, it goes to show that like, uh, you know, fucking 
fascists. Um, that that's one of their main tactics is erasing history is like covering it over. Say, don't look at it. Like we're perpetually here in the now. Um, and there is no social context behind us, which like weird how you're seeing a lot of history textbooks getting messed around with in the States. Um, but it, it, it's just like, it goes to show that like these tactics, they're also, we can get into this maybe later too, is like the interesting comparison on how a South American country reckons with their past with indigenous people and their North American counterparts and how we don't. Well, that, that, okay. So before we start to make a generalization like that, I think we need to kind of start with the foundational knowledge here that the message that this movie conveys is deeply, deeply unpopular in Guatemala. Guatemala doesn't reckon with its past at all with this. No, no, this oh. movie's like actual, like actually really incendiary and, and radical in Guatemala. Wow. Um, like there's certainly like the the artists, like the like the like the progressives who are are doing things like this. But no, by and large, like the average Guatemalan, they deny that the genocide happened. I mean, um, make a movie about the uh, Native American genocide. See how many people believe that happened, or framing it as such. I guess. Yeah, no, it doesn't happen. Like, um, yeah, we like have a whole genre from the mid century showing about how great it was that we slaughtered the natives out West. Yeah, exactly. And we should definitely talk about like some of like American examples of kind of reckoning with atrocious behavior, like La Llorona and, and actually Volcano, the, the previous film by, by Bustamante. No, they're, they're very unpopular generally in hmm. Guatemala for their content. Um, not only just like, kind of taking taking back or shining a light on this atrocity that that their government carried out but but also just the position of women in this movie like the the feminist bent that this movie has hmm. also very unpopular in Guatemala yeah Bustamante talks at, at length how like he basically had to seek financing from France from uh, I think from some American investors like there are some there is some Guatemalan money in the movie but but not as much as like from outside countries. And in fact, the, the Guatemalan like tourism board uh, co-financed his first film volcano. And that movie was, is also very incendiary and we won't spoil that movie on a podcast about a different movie, but huh. they didn't help finance this one. <laughs> huh. um, That's really interesting. It, it's uh, you know, but, there, but now there is this figure that is uh, kind of influential, even in like on the world cinema stage that, that, you know, that is making stories shining a light on, these atrocities that have happened in his country his, his first movie volcano does does the very same thing for a really specific horrible thing that happened in guatemala that i, I can't spoil because it's actually a good twist in the movie oh yeah don't spoil but, it for me either i want to see it yeah no i won't um but yeah volcano is a good movie I'm, I'm not gonna attempt to pronounce the the actual title of the movie because right. i i probably probably mess it up really really badly um but it is referred to as volcano like pretty pretty commonly yeah no, this movie uh or bustamante's movies are unique in that way but uh you're not really getting the same thing like you're not like we don't have like a a, a horror drama where andrew jackson is the main villain that's for sure yeah like yeah you won't have one with actual direct figures i'm thinking one that it's a bad movie but antebellum i think was trying to do that uh yeah it just wasn't very good but it also um, doesn't like specifically point at any well actually spoilers for a bad movie there are no historical figures in antebellum yeah 
Yeah, same with the other examples I've, I'm really that are coming to mind to this. Uh, for me, the biggest ones are like Vietnam War cinema. Mm, mm-hmm. So you think of like, and uh, you know, even like something as good as Apocalypse Now doesn't reckon with with kind of the like American guilt uh, around Vietnam as as much. But I would say Full Metal Jacket kind of goes there. In uh, Deer Hunter goes there. Deer Hunter goes there. Um, but again, uh, not they're not actually taking down any specific major like majorly powerful people who are responsible mm. and actually neither does la llorona uh i don't think it's it's a mistake or an accident that this movie started like it got its financing it started it, it went into production like within like a month or two after the real guy died <laughs> oh that's a that's funny um yeah like i don't i don't i didn't uncover anything like that that uh, kind of confirms that that isn't a coincidence, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like a coincidence. It, like yeah. he died wonder, in like the early months of 2018, and then this movie was filmed in like mid 2018. What do you make with the difference? Because I'm thinking about like our maybe not even necessarily just in film, but just in um, you know popular understandings of history or just cultural artifacts generally. Do you think one of the big differences uh, about why it's so much easier for Americans to frame, like, man, like I don't know, you learn about Manifest Destiny and it, it has nothing to do with Native Americans, or you, you know, learn about like, and then the Pilgrims showed up and the, the Indians taught us how to make corn. It's so nice. Where maybe we don't have to address it as we're not confronted with it because of the U.S.'s particular history with Native Americans was putting them on reservations and separating them out from us, essentially creating an apartheid state. So it's like, yeah. they're not, they're just literally not a part of the picture. We erase them. Uh, yeah. And, and Guatemala has done the exact same thing, which you you see in this movie, you see in Volcano where the, the, the indigenous Mayans, they like speak a language that isn't Spanish or a couple of different languages that um, the Spanish speaking population just doesn't understand. They are mostly confined to the most, rough like rough climate kind of rough terrain regions of guatemala like the mountains the volcanoes um they're they're kind of peasants in the like classic sense of the word where they are kind of separated out from like the spanish-speaking urbanite modern nobility right yeah 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 the, the children of colonizers essentially well, yeah that that is an interesting thing just in you know watching more uh seeing people on screen more in Latin American cinema where it's like, I've read some Latin American fiction. And then when you hear them described, like my head, like, I don't, I don't know when you're reading, I don't like actually try to make a very concrete image of people in like, uh, when a book describes them, like I'm not like constructing a creative player in my head. Um, but seeing the, uh, seeing more Latin American films, like specifically made in South America, it shows like a lot of them are white. Like most of them are white. (laughs) Um, Similar to like the U.S. scenario where yeah. like the colonizers yeah, yeah. and the wealthy were white because they were Spanish, duh. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we see like our popular conception of like essentially xenophobes showing um, people uh, migrating in. Like these are the people who are leaving the country because they're getting impressed by the the white people in their country. So yeah. it's going to be the more indigenous people, the more mestizo type people coming up. They're going to be of darker skin. So like when I think a lot of Americans envision Latin America south america central america all that like you really only think of like brown people you don't think of white people yeah 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 i mean you, you think of kind of the native features you don't think of like these europeans 
Yeah, I mean, I think about like Louis C.K. is from Mexico and like his family like immigrated to the U.S. when he was like twelve or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anya Taylor Joy is yeah. Latina and uh, spent most of her childhood in I think Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. And like that. Yeah. Those folks are not anomalies. No. There's a ton of Caucasian people mm-hmm. all throughout Mexico, Central America, and South America, but yeah, we are kind of a, you know, kind of white European American perception is is definitely more of like kind of the, the darker skinned native people where slowly, I think those over over the, the generations, those countries have gotten to be kind of more of like the mestizo people where it's where they're Caucasian and indigenous, like my family. Yeah, we, we don't really see that. And and we, we definitely have like colorism and like complexionism, even like amongst folks who are still like you know more more uh uh, darker skin and that sort of thing like my my family uh just like a background like just kind of me getting personal with my own kind of biracial latin american experience is uh uh so my grandma looked a lot like the indigenous women in this movie her husband my grandpa he was mestizo like he had a literally a spanish dad from spain and an indigenous mom from mexico he is like first generation mexican um so their children my mom and her sisters they like run the gamut like 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 looking at them kind of like all side by side you can like kind of like pair them from like dark to light and it's like really clear like one of my mom's sisters just happened to get the the right combination of genes where she looks like her mom and she just she looks like a like an aztec woman mm-hmm. uh my mom's littlest sister uh she just looks totally caucasian she looks almost exactly like the the daughter the doctor mm-hmm. in la Llorona, and their sisters that were born like a year or two apart and like they talk the worst shit to their one sister who's darker than the rest of them like it's disgusting like I don't even like talk to that family because they're so racist. That's um, so weird that like to be racist against a literal blood relative. <laughs> yeah, same parents. Like yeah. like like for sure the same mom and dad. Like they like she like they all look like like both the parents. Right. Yeah. Um but yeah, but like my mom is sort of in the middle. Like her little sister is like could probably pass for just totally Caucasian. Her second littlest sister just looks straight up indigenous Mexican. And then my mom and a couple of other sisters are sort of in the middle. But then uh, my mom married uh, a guy who was like almost 100% English and Danish. And so you have me, uh, <laughs> who kind of looks like Louis C.K. Um, uh, oh, there's and, your, uh, going back from the last episode, there's your that, celebrity. That might be one of the closest, right? It's Louis C.K.? Yeah. I would take Louis C.K. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You you let me masturbate in front of you, right? I was about to say before all the uh, unpleasantries. Before all the unpleasantness. Um, <laughs> oh man, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. We have to bleep that part. Um, Which is funny because out of context, it's like, oh yeah, because we're uh, you know saying nice things about Louis C.K. It's like, no, that's not why we would get rid of that. Did we say something nice about him anyway? Well, for like oh, before the unpleasantness, like doing a little Louis C.K defense i guess oh right 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 yeah i I, no no comment there just other than the (laughs) fact that he is like full-on mexican from mexico yeah like as a um, immigrant like it's funny my my neighbor who is my best friend growing up 
His dad was from uh, was Filipino from the Philippines. His mom was Polish, one hundred percent like Chicago Pole, and and his last name is Bernardino, so it's Spanish sounding because of the Filipino background. So like literally everyone thinks he's Mexican because he's like yeah 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 half you know indigenous uh, type of person, more dark complexion, half European colonizer blood. So he just wound up looking Mexican. Um, that brings up a really interesting question, considering like just how analogous the Philippines are for you know Central America, just in terms of like Spanish colonizers uh, raping a whole new race into being. Pretty much. Um, I wonder like what sort of La Llorona the Philippines have. Oh, yeah, if they have, like, a, an equivalent. Um... Uh, okay, one story we have in the Philippines refers to our Lalirona as the white woman. <laughs> we believe that she steals souls and lives among the patches of fog that drift along the ground at night. She's very beautiful and very alluring. That's very important. People who follow her into the mists are lost forever. We also believe she takes the soul of a young girl every year during a parade we have in May. <laughs> they celebrate this. And the wind heard howling at night is actually Lalirona crying. Oh, yeah, and there's a filmmaker uh, who made a La Llorona picture in the Philippines huh. called The Cry. That would be an interesting, like, compare and contrast right there. Yeah, anyway, uh, it doesn't surprise me that, that uh, the Philippines has their own version of La Llorona. Because that... they have a very similar history, which, yeah, um, you know, a lot of times these sort of, uh, like, tragic or horrifying figure, mostly, like, horror figures. I know the zombies, another good example. Like, it's usually an expression of, like, pain. Because, like, zombies come from Haitian culture and essentially sla uh, Haitian slaves that were so overworked that they behaved, quote-unquote, like zombies. Uh, yeah, and, and all that to say, this movie does a really, really amazing job of peeling back the layers on the origins of these kind of grotesque folk tales that target women. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, transcends all of those things. Like it would be easy for this movie to have made Alma or all the other women in this who are oppressed just victims. Like just punish them and let us kind of feel bad about like what they've been through. And like, there's certainly that, but again, the movie sort of lionizes them. They're not victims. They're survivors. They're kind of getting their they're due in this movie. They're not, they're not just victims. They're, they are lionesses. And uh, I really appreciate that about this movie. I think it's the thing that, that actually makes this movie transcendent instead of just clever. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, you, you hear that ever since game of Thrones, you've been hearing, we really want to subvert the audience expectation. Well, it's like, this is actually a good example of no. that. Taking yeah. Well, and, and the audience is like what a billion and a half people who grew up knowing this story, right? And like they they know the tropes, they know all the iconography. Like La Llorona is a cultural icon in the purest sense, and and yeah, when you have that much fodder to subvert expectations, and you're like, and and this movie's the first one to do it to this extent. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, there's something uh, really the, groundbreaking about it. I mean, yeah, there's another movie we watched that really did that with a cultural icon. Which one? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Bleep that. Bleep that. Bleep that. <laughs> it's so unfortunate. Because, uh, what? yeah, what I'm actually, uh, what my question would be is, like, is there another good example? Um, actually, my recommendation at the end will be a good example of this. Um, 
of a movie that takes a a well-worn trope or character or folk figure and uses that to tell a very different story in a powerful way. Um, you know, we could probably uh, segue into talking about the the genre of this movie yeah, kind of being, yeah, yeah. being magic realism and how, you know, how this isn't exactly a horror film or really a horror film at all. Uh, I mean, this is a, a, a drama film that has some horror elements. It has a couple of, of fear set pieces, but, you know, a, a, a genre fan going into this to experience a spooky horror film would be quite disappointed. So, um, and I think I was telling you this. Um, what was interesting to me is after I watched the movie and I was kind of reading through reviews, and I'll read through letterbox reviews just to kind of, usually because I just want to see the shit posty ones. It's just like someone made a funny quip. But all of the negative ones I saw had a, had a complaint that uh, you just um, said would happen from like I don't, like a, a horror aficionado, um, where the complaint was like not enough, like way too late on horror. Wasn't that scary? Um, they you know we got a spooky La Llorona and it didn't spook me. And yeah, it, it, it like moves into the question of I I just have a personal bugaboo with genre as a concept where I think it can be more of a prison than like a, a method for finding similar things. Like I understand obviously why genre exists. You lump movies together that have similar themes, styles, effects or on the audience, yada, yada, yada. But it, it can also then put up walls for what it can be or what like what in this case, what horror can do. Um, I mean, hell, the, the scariest movie that we've talked about was a movie just in a suburban house staring at corners for two hours. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, but horror as a genre, as far as like the audience having certain expectations around a really hyped up movie, it, it's different. I mean, the, the, the horror fandom is like so diehard. Like I know so many people that I interact with online where they don't like movies. They like horror movies. Like they don't literally don't watch anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, which is fine. Like I get it. There's a lot of horror movies out there and yeah, you can just watch horror movies your entire life. And, that's and it's, like, and it's, it's fun and they're, they're different than other genres entirely. But right now what we're seeing is just like so many horror tropes bleeding into more general, um, genres like you're seeing so many like action horror movies and comedy horror movies and and horror dramas really now is like the big thing with a and then if you and... ask me like that's kind of going back to its roots like if you look at the original like golden age of hollywood black and white horror movies like they weren't well i mean you could you could quite they're not that scary just because we have modern dispositions but like like for instance i remember the first time i saw frankenstein i was like this movie isn't scary it's really sad i'm sad for saint frankenstein and I mean, the book's the same way too. It's not like spooky, scary. It's like a tragedy. Um, and so I would say like, that that is an interesting reaction that I'm seeing online. Like, and you know, it could just be a very vocal minority, of course, um, that like this movie is just kind of judged on, well, did it, did it scare me or not? Did I go, ah, mm -hmm. if not bad, uh, don't care yeah. about the content, just care about what it did to me. Yeah, well, and, and in their defense, that's the way a lot of horror movies are marketed. And 
the reason they get made to begin with is to cater to that specific audience who are very predictable. Like they'll mm -hmm. feel like a movie is getting good hype out of festivals and some more, you know, a distributor like Shutter buys it and you see the Rotten Tomatoes score is like 97%. You're going to be hyped about that horror movie. Um, and if you, what you get is a historical drama, yeah, you're going to go on letterbox and kind of, you know, just unleash a little bit, <laughs> um, which, um, uh, you know, that was my experience. Cause I remember seeing like all the hype for this movie and like, and you know, and, and I, I do find this movie scary in a lot of ways. Um, and oh my, even, wait. even does have some visceral scares here and there. Um, you know, I get it. Like this isn't a, a thrill ride at all. Like this is a pretty languid movie. My favorite is I think the director was also aware that he was making a not like a non horrific horror movie because there were a couple scenes where it clearly is like, and then right. it's not like the the hair dryer scene where her hair is just like blowing everywhere like a scary banshee and you don't see the hair dryer for the beginning of the scene you're like oh that's spooky and the camera yeah. like kind of pans over it's like it's just a hair dryer guys come on take it easy like yeah. I think he's aware <laughs> that like. Oh, you want to be scared? Here's scary hair. Whoa. Yeah. Um, the the way he describes describes it, um, I, I was watching an interview where he's asked, like, hey, like, what is your like what level of fascination do you have with the horror genre? Do you see yourself making more horror movies? Uh and he's like, No, like not really. Like he's like, I, I like all cinema. I would never try to get boxed in as like a genre filmmaker. Like this movie isn't really a horror movie. It's a drama movie that has a little bit of horror. It's a historical movie that has a little bit of fantasy. Um, and he, he's basically like, yeah, I don't think I would, uh, I would do it again. And I, he didn't get too deep into this, but I do have a theory here. Um, the way he talks about this movie is that once it started to become a horror movie, he got a lot more money to make the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, horror movies are a surefire bet, like uh, as far as return on investment, like, and the the level of polish from his first film to this one. His first film is just a straight up genre, kind of slice of life, very, um, very, very slow, mostly uneventful for the first hour type of movie. The production value of this, his second movie, is like astronomical by comparison. Um, and I think that perhaps he wanted to tell the story of this genocide. He wanted to make a character study about this general and his wife and his daughter and granddaughter. Like just he wanted to juxtapose this very powerful male figure uh, who is now uh, in the throes of waning health and cognition and juxtapose him with these three generation of women that are have all kind of dealt with him and have all been influenced by him. And he wanted to tell that story, but uh, it might've made better business sense to throw some spookies in there. Like yeah. that, that's my theory. But having said that he's done a phenomenal job of taking the terror elements of this movie and using them to heighten the drama. Like yeah, we hear yeah, all yeah. of this, all this about heightened horror movies and how drama will heighten the horror. He's done the exact opposite and he's huh. done like a, a remarkable job of putting together a very, very compelling character piece and using a horror figure to elevate it 
way beyond what it otherwise would have been. So this actually kind of bleeds into the next point that I want to get at is the way the horror is used and the way it, like when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, this, you know, this isn't a capital H horror movie in the way that we think of a la James Wan fair. Um, but it is like, I recognize it. People have used this before. And the big example I could think of is Guillermo, Guillermo de, that GDT <laughs> uh, and uh, Pan's Labyrinth or even the Devil's Backbone. And then it got my wheels turning too. It's like, yeah, this is like more fantasy, more like dark fantasy. And then it made me think like further along like the, the South American context, like it reminds me of a lot of uh, magical realism, at least with it. Like it's more of a literary genre. I don't know if entirely appropriate to put it, slap it on film, but we're going to do it. Um, but it, it reminded me actually a lot of, uh, you know, one of the big book of magical realism, uh, uh, 10,000 years. 1,000 years, 100 years of solitude, damn, um, by Garcia Marquez. And like, that's what he does is there are a couple of really, really, really graphic scenes that are per pretty much like one-to-one -one retellings of atrocities that happened in Colombia. I'm sorry, did I say he's Bolivian? He's Colombian. And it, it that's when the magical, the quote-unquote magical realism comes in because it's almost like it's unbelievable that this could happen. It's unbelievable, but that this is the state of the world right now. Like it is so ruptured from how this community understood reality that the only way to explain it is in fantasy. And it also then um it also then highlights which law your own highlights too, that there's like there's a narrative that a nation will tell about itself, the official histories. Those are the ones written by the generals and his family and uh, even like his daughter, even though she's like a kinder version of it, it seems like it's still rank and file onto these basic assumptions about what the state is, who the state is for, what the history is like. And so to speak against that, to have a different narrative, so to have the the indigenous narrative or and a lot of magical realism deals in this, it's like you may as well be spinning fairy tales because no one listens to you anymore. So you may as well spin it up in like this, this fantastical, unbelievable style because like they're not going to believe you anyways because you have an, uh, you basically have an alternate reality to what the official history is. Yeah. Well, and, and luckily uh, in, in this specific case, like these atrocities were so recent Yeah, that it, it does seem like the permanent record is that they did happen and that uh this but that's this being contested was, you're seeing and he it is in it reality is, yeah. he went free so like yeah uh, right. the official history says it didn't happen yeah which i mean yeah it, it makes this movie so powerful that this movie does act as a sort of record in that way um that's also kind of shakespearean like mm -hmm. uh as far as like painting like these these monarchs in like a less than like using art to like justify painting a monarch in a less than ideal light for like entertainment purposes, but it does well, end up yeah, being you're like even... a, a it does end up being a, a record of sorts. You were saying even that uh that the the matriarch is essentially like a lady Macbeth, which I think which I think is pretty well, apt. I, I don't think that's fair. And like I, I need I need to I need to push back a little bit because <laughs> I do think that at the end of the day, this movie is about oppressed women specifically hmm. and we see three like i think it's really really intentional that we see three these three generations of women that have all kind of reckoned with the patriarch's history in different ways um one of them is growing up without a father because of it 
Uh, one of them's growing up, growing up without a husband because of it. And the other one is uh, kind of was, was along for the ride. And I think it's like the, the wife character. I need, I need to like not refer to her as the wife. Cause that's <laughs> like the patriarchy incarnate. Well, if um, it makes you feel better. I don't know what the general's name is. <laughs> we'll go with that. Her name is Sarah. Um, no, the daughter is Sarah. Uh, Natalia is the doctor. Sarah is the young lemon. Carmen is the wife. Carmen, gotcha. Um, she is like the main character of the movie in a lot of the usual tells. Like the very, very first shot of this movie is, I want to say like a two or three minute shot that is Carmen just praying before the trial. And the movie ends, big spoiler, with her strangling her husband to death. Like the guilt that she feels comes to a head and she fucking kills him in order to save her family. And, and I think that um, is that is the better choice to give her the character arc between her and the general. Like, yeah. you, could, you could see the, the, the alternative approach being watching this man, like really come to grips with what he did. But like, no, the guy's he's old just, and he's firm. He's, he's just a vegetable. Well, and it also it kind of dis it disrespects him in like a very satisfying yeah. way. Where yeah, I mean, the only thing you really learn about him through his actions, like he's kind of a perv, and yeah. he shoots a little girl. No spoiler. Yeah, he, um, he almost shoots his wife. Well, and yeah, he never, he's he like never he never shoots his daughter. There's he's a, like an generations easily don't all come together that way. Yeah, he's an easily spooked, cowardly pervert. Like that's yeah. what you yeah. that's what you get from right. the text of the film. Yeah. In the meanwhile, all three of his the women in his lives. Are, are 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 all like his all three of the women in his family are are far more fleshed out, like Alma and Valeriana, the two uh, you know, Mayan women in the movie. They're far more fleshed out. Uh, yeah, he he is just sort of like while he is a central figure of the movie, he is like he's got like the fewest lines out of any of the characters in this movie. And uh, yeah, he is just sort of along for the ride. Like you see him literally being carried around through the movie, yeah, yeah, pushed yeah. on, pushed on various different personal conveyances uh, throughout the movie. And yeah, he uh, like, he doesn't get the arc the way that uh, his, his, the, the wife Carmen does. So yeah, while like the movie doesn't forgive her of being like a, an atrocious person, she does have the most vivid character journey in the movie. And yes. I really appreciate that. She's not likable in any way, but I get it. Like she, yeah, there's, there's in her no own way, is an, is an oppressed person herself. Right, and you're seeing, yeah, given the limited options that would be available to her, she chose, I mean, for in her mind, it was like either be, the, either be under the boot or be the boot, and she chose the boot. Exactly, yeah, and... Um, uh, yeah, and, and Bustamante, he says that himself. Like, he was making a movie to give voice to Guatemalan women who have never had a voice in cinema before. Mm -hmm. um, and he uh, he's, like, really proud of that fact. Um, and I think that is, like, the, the thing about this movie that excites me the most is I do believe that, historically, the figure of La Llorona has been a tool for oppressing women. Hmm. Kind of like, like witches and how like exactly. that's being reappropriated these exactly. days. Exactly. And this movie has reappropriated La Llorona and has highlighted her as like a very stark symbol of the oppressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because then it's you wonder, get... It's wonderful. This movie fucking kicks ass. We we didn't even touch on... Um, well, oh, going into the... Like, I guess 
jumping from the magical realism bit where and I, that was my favorite part about the movie where I think that could have kind of ruined it either way and they choose not to do it is like the film won't tell you if this stuff's actually happening or not or if supernatural things are happening or not like it, it makes right. it pretty it, it wink wink nudge nudge pretty hard that it probably is happening but it never like fully drops its well, hand well <laughs> the movie goes into these um kind of more broadly genre set pieces when we get the perspective of Monteverde, the the, the old man. Right. Yeah. yeah. Then uh, things get but, fantastic. But, but but he's an unreliable na narrator. He's right. he's demented. And uh yeah, he's he's like he's suffering from literal dementia or even Alzheimer's. Like we don't really see anything supernatural happening when it's not from his perspective. And I, because on the flip side, too, if they would have made it so clear, like made it so easy to dismiss it as an unreliable narrator and say, oh, it's all in his head. It's just his guilt. Um, that would be yeah. that would have been just as boring, too. Um, but you do see like little, you know, unexplained, unusual things that are going on. Yeah. There. Yeah. Oh, well, the, the, my favorite one is when uh, uh, so throughout the movie, the protesters outside of their house become more and more of an oppressive entity. So like uh, they more and more take over all of the, un like the, the audio underscoring of the movie. Like there's very little music, if any, in this movie, there's, there's sort of harsh audio tones that happen here and there, but over the course of the movie, it's more and more just the sound of the protesters outside. And then over the course of the movie, they go from realistic protesters that are shot in a, uh, a way where they're vibrant, they're moving like real people, uh, so on and so forth. By the end, they're just still, and they're just like uh, otherworldly or well, it looked like entity. Night of the Living Dead almost. Yeah, yeah, they do. Be, they do kind of turn into like zombies, but the, very still, very accusatory zombies. Uh, but we also see like an actual sort of mes metaphysical, like, like they point at the metaphysical really directly when uh, throughout the movie, there's all of these posters of the victims of the genocide, mm, like mm -hmm, their faces mm -hmm. on the poster. And then we start to see the people from the posters, these dead people appear amongst the protesters. And if you want, look closely, uh, <laughs> right when Alma first gets to the house, the first thing she does is clean up the pool. Their pool is full of all of these posters of like these dead people and uh, obviously she has an affinity for water because that's traditional for her character. Yeah, she is like clearing out these posters. Also, uh, you, you could imagine that her face appears on these posters and she's getting rid of them as the first thing she does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty, oh, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Very yeah, that's thing she does at the house is clean the pool out of like all those posters out of the pool. Yeah, and that goes back to like the and similar to Pan's Labyrinth, I would say, where it's like the true nature of what is happening in this film is yeah. not it's not concerned about like there yeah. is a way like oh is Ophelia actually a princess in the afterlife or not? Yeah, it's like if that's if that's what you're wondering when the movie is done, like you weren't you're paying attention to the wrong things. Like th yeah. this would be a terrible one for it's like La, you're Rona explained video it's like there, there's there's no there's nothing to solve in here it's, it's not that no. kind of movie i mean it's pretty clear that like in this movie uh well no i guess it just doesn't matter like it doesn't yeah, matter that's, it's not, Alma it's, it doesn't is matter. literally la llorona but what she went through is a perfect symbol for yeah. what la llorona should mean 
Which, yeah, that's a much, especially when you're playing with the trope like that or playing with the figure, I think that's a much more powerful way to go about it. Okay, I want to talk some trivia about this movie that I fucking love. Okay, Please so, um, so I, I watched this movie back in 2020. I adored it to such an extent that I went and seeked out uh, Volcano, the director's previous film, which stars the same two ladies. Uh, I'll just call them the Marias from this point on because they're both named Maria, but there's the younger Maria and the older Maria. In their last movie, they play mother and daughter. And uh, the when watching La Llorona this past week was the first time I've watched it since watching Volcano. And uh, yeah, there are a couple lines in this movie that make it very clear that uh, Valeriana and Alma in this movie, they come from the same village that they're, they're, the characters, the same actresses play uh, live in Volcano. Like they, um, they're not literally the same characters, but they do come from the exact same like mountain village that mm. is featured in the previous movie. This is so rad, but um, uh, spoilers for Black Panther Wakanda forever. <laughs> um, there, uh, there's a lot of flashback scenes that happen in that where uh, Namor, Namor, uh, the main villain, uh, and like his people who are sort of. They're sort of they're they're Mayans without being called Mayans. Um, they like there's these flashback scenes where they're being, you know, the 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 Spanish colonizers show up and brutalize them and sort of you know conduct a genocide. And uh, these two actresses appear in those scenes. The actress that plays Alma in this movie plays uh, Namor's mother, who she has like speaking lines. Like there's a really beautiful shot in the trailer of him, her giving birth to him underwater. Um, she's featured prominently in Black Panther as a named character. Um, and then the uh, the older Maria, she's also there kind of doing like, like featured heavily while like you see kind of a ritual taking place. Um, but this movie, La Llorona, was like so like apparently Ryan Coogler admired this movie so much that he just decided that a huge swath of the new Black Panther movie was going to be an homage to La Llorona. <laughs> like incredible. Like this, this, this uh, young actress, Maria Mercedes Carroy, she's, she in real life, her and like actually both these actresses are in real life also from this exact same village that's featured oh. in, in these two movies. The, the director, Bustamante, he like held a casting call trying to find an indigenous actress to be in, in Volcano. She found him. Uh, she went to acting school uh, off of that. They came back. They teamed up again for La Llorona, and now she's in the fucking MCU. And, <laughs> like, you know, seven years ago, she was literally, you know, a peasant in this village, like, you know, like, you know working her fingers to the bone as a coffee farmer. Hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, well, Wakanda Forever has like huh. a couple scenes that are e even like the color grading and the way that they're shot. They mirror the uh, kind of the flashback and dream sequences in La Llorona really directly feature the same actors. Um, just a little trivia there uh, that, you know, you could probably tie just about any movie to the MCU at this point. Just because I was it's like, so fucking massive. La Llorona, new uh, villain in the MCU. Is that um, is no, that she's she, well, she's the villain's mom. And she's the, the the Black Panther villain's mom, so I guess that's kind of like a villain. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean, we got I, multiverses that we we can deal with. We can shove La Llorona in there. I thought that, I thought that was awesome that this movie has been that influential on like, yeah, such a gigantic cool. mainstream property. And yeah, and like you said, like the the 
the actress went so quickly from just another person to now in Hollywood doing Marvel well, movies. Well, yeah. Well, well, from a, a, a village of like 10,000 people who have been pushed direct into the actual margins of Guatemala. Like they've been pushed out by the, by the, the European settlers, like, you know, into like these like volcanic or volcanic regions of Guatemala. That's where she comes from. That's where the characters in both of these movies come from. And, uh, yeah, no. Now she was in the, the biggest movie of uh, hmm. last year, or one of the biggest movies of last year. That's that's showbiz for you, or, or both of them. The two of them are just in everything together. Yeah, the Marias. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I think that about wraps up most of the things I wanted to hit. Unless you have any other. Uh, no, I, yeah, uh, yeah. No, just overall, like gigantic thumbs up. I love yeah. this movie. I think it's. Uh, I think it's unique and wonderful and. V vibrantly like like visually vibrant like i i do want to point out just like the the actual cinematic language of this movie is so cool um uh, the movie does a uh, one thing that i wanted to talk about where it, it is a really specific thing that happens several times and uh it makes me so happy so uh there are the movie opens with a shot of carmen praying before the trial and it starts with an extreme close-up where really only her head is in the frame and then we get a slow very slow pull back to reveal that she's in this room full of people uh uh kind of public figures like outside of this courtroom and uh you you don't know who she is she almost looks like a like a witch or something at the beginning and then you kind of pull back enough that you like realize this is just uh this is a person in modern day who's getting ready to do something quite mon not not mundane but but something that isn't unusual or nothing supernatural right and uh and you see that through just like the most subtle slow pull pull back like zoom out from her uh just kind of going from her as the character to revealing the whole scenario uh and then uh that happens a couple times where a character is just framed perfectly symmetrical you only see them they're monologuing and then over the course of several minutes the camera has pulled back enough to reveal a whole room just completely full of dozens of actors who all are all specifically like blocked to make these really beautiful almost like you know you know renaissance paintings mm -hmm. on film um but then conversely there's a lot of shots that start sort of medium and then slowly push into just very intimate moments. And I think that's like such a cool visual metaphor for how this movie deals with this family as a microcosm for Guatemalan society at large. Like mm -hmm. just the fact that it does these start, it's like shots start big and then push into just intimate other shots start small and pull into uh, you know, societal. It, it, it this movie's visual language mirrors its themes and its script. Yeah, it's it's like, very thought really, out, really, really gorgeously. Um, this director and the cinematographer, they know what the fuck they're doing. This movie huh. looks amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, the acting's great. Like just from like just all the technical elements, they're there in spades. This movie sounds fantastic. I, also, I, a me, tight ninety. Like it's like what ninety six minutes, ninety seven. Yeah, it doesn't feel slow. Like the movie oh. is leisurely paced, but it doesn't feel long or slow. Yeah, this movie for me is like a pretty solid, like nine out of ten. I think 
like I, I could use like I, I'm gonna like just go ahead and like kind of throw myself in the wood chipper on this one. I could have used a little bit of a scarier movie. <laughs> See, and that's what like, um because I remember when we were talking about when I first watched it. That yeah, it's it's a compliment to it because I wanted more. Um, yeah, I wanted like yeah the 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 middle daughter the, like the what the the middle aged woman I guess she what she was probably like late thirties or something like that. So that's not middle aged, but whatever uh, the the middle daughter. I wanted to see there. It's I thought that was it was going to be about her for a while because she seemed like the one that was kind of in between both worlds. So I thought she was going to be the one with the arc instead of the uh, the matriarch. Um, and I, I wanted to see more about the the head maid. Where didn't they say in passing that like she probably almost certainly had a child with the general, and that's like part of their attachment. See that so that they leave this like purposely ambiguous because Carmen, the the wife of the general, the the matriarch of the family. She knows that her husband is a pervert and a womanizer and that he spent years and years away from her, you know, amongst these indigenous people. And she knows that basically her husband and all of his lieutenants and all of their men were basically constantly raping these women. And so she believes that Valeriana, the, the lead maid, the kind of, who's kind of on the a little bit older um, she believes that Valeriana might be his love child and that he brought his daughter back with oh, him. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but but at the same time, Valeriana does not look at all like him. Like she's not Caucasian whatsoever. She is one hundred percent like native Mayan. So like I to me that that sounds like just Carmen uh again projecting, making excuses to and that be goes a back. terrible person. That goes back to um, how La Llorona is never like actually explicitly shown to like, is this supernatural or not? Where it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter if that daughter really or if the woman really is a love child or not. It's the fact that that even is a question, which is so fucked. Right. But 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 to me, it's Carmen just making more excuses for her bad behavior and for yeah. her to try to process her own guilt. Um, I don't think I think that Valeriana is probably just a. You know, like this is all she has is being the caretaker to this family. She, yeah, I, I, I don't think that she's like a member of the no, family. No. And, and yeah, kind of like the, you know, oh, is you know, Orphelia actually the, a princess or not? It's like right. it, it, that's not what matters. Like that's not what yeah. the movie isn't asking you to look at whether or not she really is a love child or not. The movie's asking you to look into why would that accusation be made? Why like, yeah. Why is that even a thing that is on the table? Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, here's a narrative uh, qualm I have with this movie. Uh, they leave all these breadcrumbs about where is Sarah's father. Right. Um, so yeah. Sarah, like her whole family, they're Caucasian. They're like pale pasty spaniards uh but she is clearly biracial like she's clearly mestizo like she has an she has an indigenous father um and we get these small small little breadcrumbs of narrative uh that he is gone he has disappeared and that his wife and daughter don't know where he is like he disappeared without a trace and like you the assumption that you could make is that is that uh you know monteverde and his uh his regime you know had you know took took umbrance with the fact that uh his his uh bloodline had been polluted thusly and got got rid of the guy yeah disappeared and, uh, 
disappeared him and like his uh his enforcer like his bodyguard guy like the press asks about it and he goes he flips out and he's like don't ask that question if you like value your life basically yeah. uh even like uh you know and and like you know his, the mother of his child the, the you know the the kind of middle middle lady natalia uh that was her her the father of her child and she doesn't know what happens to him right and she she even she brings it up and she's she's told not to question it I would have liked more there. Like we get those little nuggets of like of wondering, but in my opinion, like the the character of Natalia, like she doesn't poke the bear nearly enough on that. Like she doesn't she doesn't like imbue that question with nearly probably enough she, weight. She knows the answer. Yeah, probably. So, but we're we're left to wonder that as an audience. When to me, like confronting that head on might have been more satisfying. Well, but I mean, that was kind of the point of the story is uh, when history is going to confront you whether you seek it out or not. Um, and I, I thought that was pretty um, well executed by, you know, the sound design behind all the protesters, how it's like closing in on them. What was I going to say about, oh, but yeah, this goes back to, I think that's mainly going to be what I think about this movie now, where it's like, it's blending the supernatural horrors of like the La Llorona and the world of ghouls and zombies and folk horror um, and combining it with just the real horrors of Guatemalan history. Yeah, the best horror mixes real life horror with some sort of metaphysical terror. Right. Um, like some some uh, uncomfortable or grotesque, disturbing or disgusting real life human experience when you augment that with uh, a supernatural terror or suspense it really really sings to me so well and this yeah, movie it can, it can make you movie, confront it i mean it's catharsis yeah. it's <laughs> this is catharsis 101 right here that uh yeah. that uh yeah horror in that vein which i also love that that kind of stuff um can so powerfully like drop your defenses a little bit it's sort of similar in the way of like really good comedians can uh mm -hmm. address yeah. the same like normally very taboo cultural uh topics but they can instead of trying to sneak around your defenses with horror they sneak around your defenses with laughter yeah exactly well and laughter and horror uh i believe are actually the same evolutionary response well i think um, i told you that uh my favorite like little uh truism that i've heard once it's like there are three genres of film that seek a physical response from the viewer it's horror, it's comedy, and it's porn. Porn, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, here, this is uh, the best. Do all three, by the way. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> um, the actress who plays Carmen, the kind of matriarch of the family in this movie, she is incredible. Like mm. she is striking. She's oh, so yeah. unusual looking and sounding, mm. and her whole vibe is like so. Um, it's like kind of tailored for her to be a horror antagonist. Um, this is this is the only movie she's ever been in. Wow, really? Yeah, she's before I mean, or she's since an incredible actor. I I just assumed she is like like some sort of like legendary Central American like staple. Uh, but no, no, she's not. This is huh. her. This is her one credit. Oh, and that, I, um, I'm guessing she's been on the Guatemalan stage quite a bit. I yeah, would assume, that, that would I would assume but, or South American uh, stage in general. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, her her IMDb page is 
<laughs> wild. Oh, and because there's there's nothing there except for La Llorona. <laughs> that is that is nuts. Um, the and the interesting thing that um, about this movie, why I'm purposely haven't brought this up is we've talked about Guatemalan history, but we haven't talked at all about the the United States's involvement in Guatemalan history. And I think for a movie like this, it's like it's inappropriate to insert ourselves in there where it's like that the, the actual real military dictatorship was certainly actually backed by U.S. interests. So like we, our hands are a little bloody in this story. But I think it's not really appropriate to bring that into this particular story. because It's very much like Guatemalans talking to Guatemalans. Yeah, I mean, I think even more like uh, than this is like a historical document for this ugly piece of Guatemalan history. It's a, it's a confrontation of the guilt. Um, I, I really do think it, it is uh, such a feminist piece. Um, and I, I love it for that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's all I have to say about La Llorona. I'm, I'm very excited about what, uh, what uh, Jairo Bustamante does next. Um, there was about four years or so between Volcano and, uh, the two movies he made in 2019, uh, La Llorona and and Tremors, but uh, it has now been you know about four years since the release of those films. Uh, so uh, I'm wondering if he's got something uh, about do actually in the can already, or if he's working on something. But uh, I feel like we might might see that at Sith next year if we're lucky. Ooh, yeah, I'd like that. Maybe a little midnight viewing. Uh, probably not a, a horror film. I, I think he specifically said that he's not oh, really right. interested in repeating himself. Yeah, I hope it is uh, another movie that kind of shines a light on a specific kind of ugly part of Guatemalan history. Um, just like uh, kind of his two two major features have been so far. Kind of last factoid to, to leave this film on is uh, Guatemala, again, does not have a rich film industry uh according to to bustamante maybe one two or three movies per year will actually be made in guatemala that reach any sort of audience the first ever movie to be kind of shortlisted for the best international feature oscar was bustamante's volcano in 2015 and of the three the three Guatemalan movies in all the history of the Oscars who have, that have been like submitted to the Oscars for a consideration in that category, uh, Bustamante is two for three on those. <laughs> there was a Guatemalan film last year that got submitted to the Oscars but did not get shortlisted. The other two are his two movies, huh. and La Llorona was shortlisted and actually was you know distributed to the Academy for consideration. Who knows? His next movie might actually make an international splash, and uh, Guatemala will, will get a nom. And uh, but most of we can act like true movie hipster snobs, but like, oh, yeah, I knew about him way before all that, yeah, yeah, a little way back when he was working with that little tiny streaming service, Shudder. <laughs> um, uh, all right, well, uh, what, what kind of recommendations do you have based on you know one's enjoyment of uh, Bustamante's La Llorona? Um, so I've got uh, the more recent one would be a movie called Zombie Child. Have you heard of that one? I have not. Um, it is a French produced film, I think, but with a lot of Haitian filmmakers in it. And it kind of does this, uh, what La Llorona is doing, also from 2019, uh, coincidentally enough, um, <clears throat> where it takes the figure of the zombie 
Um, and it explores, uh, well, like what's, what is the real material historical uh, legacy that the zombie is a part of? Um, and it places it in modern day France. So basically, I mean, long story short, it's uh, a girl, a Haitian girl gets transferred to like a, a nice French school and the, the French girls are like, you know, they're not like, uh, as she's assimilating, there starts to be like some uh, questions about whether or not she has some supernatural abilities. Interesting. And I forget, like, it, it's been a bit since I've seen it, and I forget exactly if the movie says whether or not she really has, like, voodoo powers. But once again, like um, La Llorona, it's like, that's kind of not the point. Right, um, right, right. The other one, also a the or an older one, is called Black Girl, and it's a Senegalese slash French film. And it kind of is in dealing, uh, it, it kind of triangulates all three of these movies in a way Minus the horror, like there's no horror to it. It's like a film perfectly straight up, but it's it's basically showing the horror of being ripped from the context of your home in Senegal and then just dropped into France uh, alone. And now the only people who um, have any kinship to you are, you know, you're this wealthy French couple that they can pretty much treat you however they want, because what are you going to do about it? You got no recourse. You have no community. So you kind of see her alienation and loneliness. And it, basically it's like, Oh, this would be a movie that, you know, in about 200 years, like maybe a folkloric legend would be birthed out of right. this, like how Zombie Child or La Llorona have real, real historical uh, stories behind them, you know? Nice. Dude, both of those seem really rad to me. Will mm -hmm. you uh, send me some links? Yep, yep, yep. I think I've, I've not heard of either of those movies. I'm going to pick two very, very famous popular movies that are both recent and uh, quite well-received. Um, and this is always how I pitch this movie to people is this movie is like Roma meets Hereditary. Uh, it, it shares a lot more similar lifeblood with Roma than with Hereditary because, again, this movie is like 90% drama, 10% horror. Um, but uh, remarkably similar subject matter is, uh, to, to, to Roma. And uh, if you know anyone who knows me personally will uh, could probably assume what my feelings for the movie Roma are to a pretty <laughs> major extent. Uh, yeah, like R Roma is just so much about this experience of like the indigenous Mexican people commingling with the kind of European uh, city dwellers, like the the ruling cl class of kind of Spanish people in Mexico. Um, you know, it's a gentler movie. There's a lot more love in that movie. Uh, but there there's, is still, there's some brutal scenes. But there's some brutal movie. scenes, and there's this like really brutal undercurrent. Uh, uh, viscerally and emotionally in Roma that it, it shares with La Llorona, even other than just being the fact that it's it's literally about the identity of a specific Central American country and them kind of coming to terms with the relationship between the indigenous folks and the European folks. And for me, that like I, I am the movie Roma personified as a person, like. Um, and that movie means so much to me. Uh, it, it's something that I want, I've wanted to preserve as part of my legacy. Uh, so if you haven't seen Roma, it's the best Alfonso Cuaron movie. And that's saying a lot. That is saying a whole lot. Uh, and, and most people would disagree with me, but they're fucking wrong. And, uh, Roma is probably the only um, movie of its ilk that I think is better than La Llorona. I mean, not to maybe we're throwing the gauntlets down but like really it's children of the men and children of men in roma like those are the two yeah yeah i mean there's definitely uh 
I guess uh, Ichimama Tambien could have a conversation in there, but like th those are the ones in the bucket, I would say. Certainly, yeah, yeah. We'll 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 have to like do a couple of his movies on the pod oh, coming I'll up, but you. but yeah, R Roma and La Llorona are like so similar. Yeah. Um, and I would just say like the bits of horror aesthetic and just like the way that the film is shot and like some of the the use of color and some of the use of really stark stillness juxtaposed with other kind of dynamic framings is very hereditary esque. And, and also both movies do deal with like the, like the trauma of several generations of women um, kind of being, uh, being slaves to a domineering male figure, uh, mm -hmm. even though it's not an actual demon in, mm -hmm. uh, in La Llorona, it might as well be. Yeah, I think that La Llorona is like a very like very apt comparison would be Roma. 90% of Roma meets 10% of Hereditary. All right. Well, for concessions, I'm Jared. And I'm Dan. And now you have heard the truth about what actually happened to the, the, the nice general and his kind family and all the mean, rambunctious, savage protesters that came and bothered them on a nice Tuesday afternoon. Harlots and baby killers, all of them. <laughs> See ya. Todos lloraban tu tierra, llorona, tu tierra ensangrentada. Todos lloraban tu tierra, llorona, tu tierra ensangrentada. Sollozos de un pueblo herido, llorona y de su voz silenciada. Sollozos de un pueblo herido, llorona y de su voz silenciada. No sé qué tienen las flores, llorona. Las flores del campo santo No sé qué tienen las flores Llorona, las flores del campo santo Que cuando las mueren